Well, good morning to you. Tell you what, if you don't get anything else from today but what you just saw, you're going to leave here much richer than when you came in. That God loves you so very, very much. I'm Dwayne Taylor. It's my privilege to serve as the uh, senior pastor here at Dorisville. And we are glad that you are here today. Again, so many churches you could have chosen to worship. You chose to come here. And thank you so much for coming. We pray God's blessings on you through what you've already heard. And then through the word that we're about to share with you. We're in our second week of Advent. And we want to talk about Christmas peace today. Christmas peace today. Now, I brought a couple of prompts up with me. And first off, one was this big old book here, and this is a copy of War and Peace, okay? And I've never read War and Peace, and I read the synopsis of War and Peace, and I can probably say safely I will die and go to heaven and not read War and Peace. But it's an incredible book because it's one of the great literary works, perhaps the greatest literary work in Russian um, literacy. But but then but also it's the one's the seventh longest novel ever written. And the original copy had twelve hundred and twenty five pages. This copy has about eight hundred, I think. But it's an incredible book. But frankly, besides the title, it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. So we'll put that aside. But I do have another great literary work that I want to share with you today that has a whole lot to do with what I'm talking about. And that is right here. If you put that on the screen for me, please. Maybe. Yeah, there we go. A wonderful. Now, not as long as War and Peace, but definitely a deep, wonderful literary work. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Published in 1966. Right here by Dr. Seuss in the good old United States of America. And you know the story, probably. I, I mean, it's just one of my favorite stories. Probably of all the Christmas stories, Rudolph and Frosty and all that stuff, this one comes the closest to telling the story of the grandest story of Christmas. You know, the Grinch guy, for whatever reason, he really, well, he just didn't like Christmas. And the Who's were infatuated with Christmas. They love Christmas. And in the words of, of, of Dr. Seuss, the Who's love Christmas. But the Grinch, he did not. In fact, you would safely say that the Grinch declared war on Christmas. He decided that he would go down to Whoville and steal all the toys and the trinkets and the trees and all of their food and stop Christmas from coming. What he didn't realize was is that Christmas is not about all the trinkets and the toys and the trees because he goes down and steals everything. But on Christmas morning, the Who's still get up and they still get out and circle in their yard and they sing Yahoo, Yahoo. The song that they sing there and Christmas came and it so impacted the life of the Grinch that something happened. He's up looking down from his high perch with all the toys. Something happens in his heart that was way too small Grew four times that day. He delivers all the toys back and celebrates Christmas with the Who's. And I'm sure you can see somewhere in there how that's really what God has done for us. I wore this outfit. And in today's fashion, it's so hard to make a fashion fupa. But if you'll notice, I had this plaid shirt on. And back in days gone by, you didn't wear a plaid shirt with circles and a, a wrong color of red, the wrong color of green, circles, and certainly not a Grinch. But today, not one person said, even my wife didn't say, that doesn't match. But they did say, oh, I like your tie. No one's saying about a shirt, but oh, we like your tie. 
But see, we have this, this conflict going on. We have reds that don't match. We have greens that don't match. We have plaids. We have all this going on. And yet, that describes our life without Christ. There's so much going on. There's so much conflict. But then there's this. There's this. This is going to make me really hot. This is a sweater. And if I take this sweater and I put it on like this and get it on and put it on like that and pull the sleeves down so it doesn't bug me and get this like this, all of a sudden, all of the conflict, the confusion, the contrast is gone covered up by the sweater. I don't know if it happened to the Grinch's heart. But the story of Christmas is how God takes conflict and war and covers it in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and blots out our sin, just like the sweater blots out the conflict of my outfit. The greatest story ever told. The Grinch declared war on Christmas, but do you understand before time was even being counted that a guy named Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven? And he decided one day that he wanted to be God. And so he goes, I will ascend. I will be like the most high. And God said, I don't think so. And, and God cast him out. But that day, Satan declared war on God. And somewhere again in eternity past, before time, there was a war council in heaven. And God the Father and God the Son, got the Holy Ghost got together and they said, you know, Satan is going, we're going to create man and there's going to be a conflict because man, Eve and Adam are going to give in to, to sin. And there's going to be war. And they're going to, they, just like Satan declared war, they're going to declare war on us. And what are we going to do? And like I told you last week, God could have chosen annihilation. He could have chose destruction. They chose redemption through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the story today. We want to talk about how we declared war on God, and yet God did not declare war on us. He declared his peace for us. Take your Bibles, please, and turn perhaps one of the most powerful scriptures uh, in the New Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 22. And if we get time, and I'll watch the time carefully. It goes a little bit late. We're getting, getting here. Um, we'll, we'll watch that. But, but if we get time, talk about not only peace with God, but how we can have the peace of God. Peace with God and peace of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse number 19. And, and here's what's great. Here's what's great. When they had the war council... And they planned how man was going to be redeemed. Uh, and, you know, they declared, we declared war on God and how God was going to bring peace. It began with Christmas. How appropriate if we talk about Christmas peace. And here's what verse 19 says. For it pleased the Father that God the Father was happy that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. Now, let me just pause there. And I really want to encourage you to read the first part of, verse, of chapter number one because it is incredibly powerful about Jesus Christ. But I want to make sure you understand, when, when the scripture says that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, I want you to understand, and this is just a paper mache baby, I understand that, but it represents what happened that day. Do you understand that on that first Christmas morning, that, that, that God, all the power, all the majesty, all the holiness of God was born in the form of a little baby. Jesus Christ was not part God and part man. 
He was 100% God and yet 100% man. It's incredible to think that, that God said there needs to be an invasion. If we're going to attack sin, if we're going to see the demise of Satan, there needs to be an invasion. And Jesus Christ invaded earth the first time. The cost was tremendous. Jesus, never bound by human body, puts one on. He lives a sinless life and ultimately goes to an old rugged cross and dies for our sins. It pleased the Father that in Him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. And then He goes a little bit further and says this. And by him. Now we're going to dissect this real carefully. By him. Now look a little bit further. I'm using the New King James. Let me read it to you. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him. By him. By him. Now, now I asked Brent. Brent, where are you at, Brent? Now last time I asked you that if I took all your money last week, do you remember that? And I, if I took all your money, how much would you have? And I would have all of it, right? And we talked about last week how that with God, that, that God is all-powerful. And if God is all-powerful, how much power does Satan have? None. Okay, in, in the realm of salvation, if reconciliation, if salvation, if, if war is, is, is won and peace is declared by him, how much is it up to us? None. None. The only part you have in, in God's peace coming into your life is surrender. I mean, you can't go to church. And, do you really understand this? You have no part in this. You could have no part in it because there is none righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned. All our righteousness, the Word of God, is described as filthy rags. It was by Him. It was by the birth of this little baby... That men, women, and children could come into peace with God. How incredible is that? If you're here today and you've never trusted God, you never trusted Jesus Christ, and you're sitting there going, my life is so messed up. Man, my life is like a war zone. The only hope I can give you today is Jesus Christ. The only hope I would want to give you today is Jesus Christ. Because for goodness sake, don't we all know church doesn't bring peace? Religion doesn't bring peace. Walmart doesn't bring peace. Things don't buy. You're going to open the presents on Christmas morning by the 26th in the morning. You'll be tired of some of them. Stuff don't bring peace. Jesus brings peace. By, by him, twice, as it's emphasized, I'll say, this is really important. By him, by him, to reconcile all things to himself. Reconcile. It means to go, a definition from the commentary, to go from a state of hostility to a state of peace. Now we'll talk about it in just a little bit. But you go from being at war with God, declaring war of God, to not only having peace with God, but coming into his family. Becoming children of God. To Reconcile by him to him. Now, understand something. God did not declare war on us. We declared war on God. The problem is not on God's side. The problem is on our side. 
When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, genetically, spiritually, genetically, they have passed on a sinful nature to each one of us. We inherited it. But also, by our actions, we are sinners. We are sinners by nature, and we are sinners by action, and that makes us enemies of God. We're at war with God, naturally born. We'll talk about it in just a moment. So the problem is not on God's side. I love the line. You, most of y'all won't remember this, but if you can, you remember the movie Pearl Harbor? You know, the one they put the romance and the war together? It wasn't very historically accurate, but boy, it was a good movie. And there's a reporter in there taking pictures. And, and the jet planes are zipping and, and diving and shooting. And the, this reporter dives into the back seat and he goes, who is that? And he goes, the, the, the guy's front seat said, the Japs are bombing us. And the reporter goes, I didn't even know they were sore at us. See, some of you don't understand that you're at war with God. Without Jesus Christ, a state of war exists on your part, not his. And he wants to give you peace. Now, if you reject that peace, there will be a state of war. And it will cause you to be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. So, by him, twice he says, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. I mean, I'll say, man, this world's messed up. I mean, it's messed up on all levels. All of us have, are born sinners and we're sinners for action. And the world is messed up. But there's coming a day. He will reconcile all things, all things, all things to himself. And that includes those who say yes to Jesus Christ. But it includes... A new heaven and a new earth. Listen to this. I've only got one extra, one extra scripture today, but I want to share it with you. Listen to this. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. You know what that means? There's no more sea. It means there was no more sea. <laughs> then I, John, saw, come on now, the holy city... New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard, now, now come on now, get, this, this is coming now, this is coming. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. There's coming a day. It's going to be so much better than what it is now. You can't even fathom it. See, don't, don't get all ripped up that your world's messed up today because he's going to make all things new. He just ain't done it yet. He made, if you're a believer, he made you all new, but you still live in an imperfect world. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day. He's going to reconcile all things to himself. Now, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no crying over broken marriages. There'll be no crying over, over children gone astray. There'll be no crying. In fact, there, I told Randy Reed one time, I said, Son in heaven, you're going to be out of business. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no death. There'll be no darkness. There'll be no tears. There'll be no saying goodbye to loved ones. There'll never be families torn apart again. He's going to make all things new. What Satan has stolen, God's going to restore. 
God is going to restore. Now, now again, if, that was, if, if Dr. Seuss wrote that, come on. But Dr. Seuss didn't say that. God said that. God said that. He says this. There'll be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he, who's, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. So there was a state of war that existed between man and God. God's plan began on a Christmas day. He says, because the wages of sin is death, because every person has sinned, and they will be eternally separated from me unless I do something. You can do nothing. God said, unless I do something, they will be eternally separated. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, who was born without sin, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who at the age of 30 began a public ministry and demonstrated in various ways exactly who he was, the Son of God. At the right time, the tide of public opinion turned against him. He went through a mock trial, being scourged to an inch of his life, and a crown of thorns platted, carrying his cross up to Calvary. They nailed him to a cross where all the sins, every sin in this room and not the entire world of people born and yet to be born, was placed on Jesus Christ. The, the, the wrath of God, the war that's coming for those who reject Jesus Christ, was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ cries out, Eli, Eli, lana I, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And God had turned his back on his own son for one reason, that you could have peace with God. An invasion is always costly. Remember D-Day? Thousands of men bled and died on the beaches of France. But the Allies knew if there was ever going to be peace, there had to be bloodshed. And God said without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. So we sent Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. So Paul goes on and says this. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. And can, I, can I pause out here? Do you all notice something I do every week? I point to that. Don't get confused. That is wood. It's what happened on that that makes the difference. It's the Christ who died on the cross, not the cross. All that is is an icon, a reminder of what happened there when Jesus died that we could have peace with God. So that was his plan of attack. Here's the terms of surrender. Paul says, writing to the church of Colossae, and you, and you, and us, or I could say this, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Who were once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. And you who were once alienated. Now, let me get this picture. Hey, students, have you ever walked into the cafeteria and there's all your friends and there's one seat open and you walk up and they're, hey, guys, have a seat? No. And you're, you feel alienated. 
You felt outcast. You wonder if you got a booger on your nose or something. Did, did I not shower this morning? Something has gone wrong where you feel alienated. The word there, alien, means to be cut off, cast out, separated. We were talking to people who, who had made peace with God. And you were once alienated. You were once set apart from God. And you were once were enemies. There it is. Unregenerate people. People who have yet to meet Christ. Are at war with God. The enemies of God. Now, I didn't say that. God's word did. Very clearly. He said, you once were an enemy of God in your mind by wicked works. And yet now he hath reconciled. We demonstrate that we're an enemy of God by the way we think. An unregenerate person thinks differently than God. Things that, that God says is wrong, they think is right. Things that God says is right, they think it's wrong. They reject the evaluation of God. God looks in the eye and says, you're a sinner. And they say, no, I'm not. I'm a good person. Do you know how much money I gave to Rick Frost during Sandy? Did you know that when I was four months old, my mom and dad had me baptized? Don't you understand that removes sin? I'm not a bad person. They reject the evaluation of God. And yet God's word says, every one of us have sinned. Now, you get it? There's none. How many? Now, there's zero righteous. Zero. And everything we have, every, every, every religious, every good deed we do appears to God as filthy rags. I'll give you one definition. Filthy rags are the rags the lepers used to bind up their, their festering, pus-filled wounds. And what you're going to one day, some of you are going to stand before God and he's going to say, why should I let you into my heaven? And you're going to hold up your festering, soaked rags and say, this God. And God says, that's not acceptable. You're going to stand before God and say, I was a member of the Dorsfield Baptist Church. I was a Baptist, a Methodist. He was of the Baptist faith. Sometimes they say in the obituaries. But I'm telling you, there's but one way. And it's the Christ of the cross. You were once alienated, he says. You were once the enemies by your thoughts and by your actions. By your actions. People who have met Jesus, now listen carefully, people who have met Jesus act differently. Not to get to heaven, but because we met Jesus. I mean, if you want an indicator of where you are with God, you want to say, well, how do I know if I'm at war with God? I mean, it's like the shirt and the tie. It kind of matches to me. How do I know that a state of war exists? How's your thought process? Does your thought, do your thoughts line up with God's thoughts? And do your actions line up with this book? Or your own set of standards? Again, not for salvation. But doggone. A carrot is known as a carrot because it looks and tastes and has the genes of a carrot. And people who have met Jesus, who have made peace with God, have a different set of living. It's a good evaluation. Good evaluation. You are alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. Has he brought home. And who reconciled? Who reconciled? God did. Again, it wasn't me seeking after God. It was God drawing me. 
I love this. One of the commentaries said this. The death of Jesus Christ allowed the enemies of God to become the friends of God. Yeah, that song says, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. And if you know Jesus Christ today, you are a friend of God. But if you don't, a state of war exists between you and God. And you started the fight. Being born a sinner and by your actions. So he says, has he reconciled in the body of his flesh, speaking again the price, in the body of his flesh, through death. And watch this. To present you holy and blameless, above reproach in his sight. See? Listen real carefully. I'm going to tell you something you need to hear. Now, some misuse Grace. Some misuse grace. Because they say, I'm a product of God's grace, I can do what I want to, and God will say, I forgive you. That's an abuse of grace. It, it's something wrong with that. The picture doesn't add up. Okay? Now, 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 now what's this? What, what Paul is saying here is that for those who have truly met Jesus Christ... Truly have peace with God. Does that mean we're perfect? We're going to fall in the mud puddle. I know some of y'all think you never do. But we're going to fall in the mud puddle. We're going to sin. But I want to tell you emphatically from the word of God... That just be, if I've experienced God's grace and had peace with God... I may stumble and fall, but Calvary's blood covers my sin still. I don't have to be born again again. Some of y'all have been born again and again and again and again and again. Honey, get over it. If you truly met grace, if you truly met Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. And one day, listen, listen, get this. One day, you're going to stand before God. And when He sees you, you're going to be seen as holy. And you go, I'm not very holy. No, but Jesus is. <laughs> Come on now. Jesus is, and it's His holiness that you got. One day you're going to stand before God, and you're going to be blameless. You're going to say, I'm not blameless. No, but Jesus is. One day you're standing before God, and you're going to be above reproach in His sight. You'll say, I'm not above reproach. No, but Jesus is. And listen to me. That's how you're getting in. It ain't how many times you wear a church or go to church or what translation you have or, or how much money you give. You getting in by the blood or you ain't getting in. And you're going to be holy. You're going to be sitting blameless and without Reproach. That's the power of peace with God. Now, here's, here's what you've got to understand. That's it. You remember, you remember when Jesus himself said, 
There's this really broad way. And don't go that way. But go the narrow way. What happened on the cross is a pretty narrow way. There's not, salvation-wise, there's not a lot of margin. See, that's where our, our friends who believe in Muhammad, well, they believe in God, but, but James said the devils believe and tremble. They believe in a work salvation. And the narrowness of what God provided to make peace does not allow for work salvation. It doesn't allow for the Hindu religion that says, I'll just be regenerated about 47 times. I'll start as a grasshopper and end up as a pretty good person. Well, if you did 47 times, you're still not good enough because the Bible says all of sin. The Mormons work salvation. Jehovah Witness work salvation. God's way to heaven is pretty narrow. Oh, 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 oh. And it's not the Baptist way. Come on, some of y'all think that. Some of y'all think when we get to heaven that the Baptists have got the corner on the market. You heard the joke, didn't you? Yes, the Methodists made it to heaven. Yeah, did y'all? Y'all, y'all didn't know that, did you? So Methodists got to heaven, and, and they were being escorted by St. Peter. And, and they came to the Baptist sector. And, and St. Peter said to the Methodist brothers, said, y'all got to be real quiet here, because those Baptists think they're the only ones here. It's not the Baptist way. It is Jesus Christ saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And here's what's cool. What's your skin color today? Are you you African American? Are you Caucasian? Are Are you brown skin today? God doesn't care. God doesn't care. That's why that's why missions that's why life is so important. See those guys with the things on their heads? Jesus died for them. And we got to hear the gospel zillions of times. Some of them have never heard it. That's why Lottie Moon is so important. That's why it's so important. So what's your economic status? Rich? Poor? In the middle? Food stamps? Public aid. You don't have to work a day in your life. God didn't care. He didn't care. First time in church? Or were you born in church? God didn't care. God's not distressed by how good or how bad you think you are. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Now, we're not going to get to the other part. Oh, maybe we'll preach it Wednesday night. Would you all come back Wednesday night? If, I, if, I, if some of you all come back Wednesday night, talk about, about peace of God. Come, come on back. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. But the most important thing today is peace with God. Because without peace with God, you can't go to heaven. You miss. You miss eternity with Jesus Christ. What do I need to do, Dwayne? Well, again, there's not a magic formula. But, but it goes something like this. You've got to let God know that you've sinned. He knows it, but he wants to know that you know it. That you have sinned and you've got nothing to bring to the table. You have got to become a zero before Christ can make you something. You can't come and say, well, God, you know, I, I've done this, I've done that. You've got to come with a zero and say, I've got nothing to bring, God. So it's got to be all Jesus. And I believe Jesus was the Son of God. 
I believe he died on that cross for me, paying the price for my sins. And I believe he resurrected the third day, proving that he was the Savior of the world. I believe he's coming back. And here's the part. You can't miss this. Jesus is not a fire escape. Jesus says, if you're going to come follow me, if you're going in this direction, you've got to repent or turn around and go to this direction. That's why Christians think differently. That's why Christians act differently. They turn away from where they're going and go this way. And God says you've got to do that. It's called repentance. It's choosing to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. So somehow you've got to tell God that. Now, Brent's going to be down front. And we'll have some friends down here, ladies and men. We'll be glad to talk with you about having peace with God. Peace with God. He loves you. Oh, how he loves you. Just like the video said. He has a wonderful plan for your life. But to claim that, you've got to surrender. You've got to raise your hands, wave the white flag and say, Okay, God, I surrender. And when you do, you will have peace with God. And you'll understand Christmas peace. Would you bow your heads right there? Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're here today and and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, oh, today would be a great day to do that. If, If something's tugging at your heart, maybe something like this, this is what I've been looking for. This is what's missing in my life. I mean, I'm going to go to church, but there's something missing. This is it. Peace with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So my question today is, have you surrendered? Have you made peace with God? I I ask that question to every person you may be visiting here. I even ask that of every member of our church. Because the way is narrow. You know my story. Worship leader in a church when I got saved. All my life. Sang in gospel groups. Gave testimonies that make people cry. Lost. Lost. I was thinking that somehow I could do it myself. That my good works would somehow purchase my salvation. And one day I realized it was Jesus or it was nothing. On October 26, 1975, in between a Sunday school hour and a worship hour in my pastor's office, I asked God, Jesus, to forgive my sins. And I made my peace with God. And the state of war, the state of hostilities was over. I've never regretted it and won't tomorrow. I want you to meet my Jesus today. That's our invitation. To some degree, that's why we built this building. To some degree, that's why we meet every week. Yes, we meet to worship. But we meet to tell others of what Jesus did for us and our peace with God. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you so very, very much for the chance to share today.
God, why you did it, I'm not sure I'll ever understand this side of heaven. We were totally depraved. So unworthy. And yet somehow, you thought us worthy. You, you thought us worth the price. I don't understand that. In fact, your word says that God demonstrated. You demonstrated our love toward, your love toward us. And that even though we were sinners, Jesus, you died for us. How incredible. So some of my friends here to know, I know some friends today have not made this commitment. Give them the courage to step out. Or maybe right there, the best way they know how is to say, Jesus, I choose you. I turn from my sin and I choose you. And God, may they mean it with all their hearts. May white flags go up all over this sanctuary today as people surrender to you. Jesus, thank you for the invasion. Thank you for the cross. And I pray, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.